This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, just wanted to give you a heads up. This will contain spoilers for late in the season developments. So if you haven't caught up, first off, bold choice for listening to this first. I respect you for that, but you might want to listen to the whole season first before listening to this discussion. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. And as always, Arden is brought to you by Wayface Industries, the good people. Hello and welcome to the first commentary-ish track for Arden. Uh, this is we're talking about the first episode, uh, which I have already forgotten the name of. <laughs> so you uh, Dave did, my God, <laughs> aliens did it. Uh, Yes, we are going to, instead of doing a straight commentary, because it feels weird to do a commentary on an audio-only thing, we're just doing a little discussion. We're going to talk for 45 minutes to an hour about this episode, Uh, and everybody's getting to listen to this one, and if you are a Patreon subscriber, you'll get to listen to commentaries for every other episode, so good for you. Go subscribe. Patreon.com slash Ardenpod. I am Todd Vanderwerf, co-creator uh, I think I wrote the first draft of this. I don't know. I, I, like, we wrote this in 2016. Who knows? Uh, but <laughs> I am joined by... This is Christopher Dole. I am a co-creator of Arden, and I participated in that first 2016 draft somehow. Like, that first nonsense draft that we did back in 2016. And also... I am Sarah Gallup. I am a co-creator and co-writer of Arden, and I had nearly nothing to do with this episode. Uh, no. <laughs> I think I cut a bunch of stuff. You, you did. You cut a bunch <laughs> of the stuff. The most valuable it's contribution not, of all. Yes. Um, it's not three hours long, and for that, you are welcome. <laughs> um, yes. like a lot. There was a lot of stuff that was in this episode that got moved to, I think, episode three. Uh, I think is yes. where it landed. Yeah, all of the Wallace Wallace stuff. Yeah, was yeah, from the I've... original draft of this episode. I'm gonna, I'm Wallace gonna dig up Wallace the was set up to be a much bigger character than he was. <laughs> he was gonna be so important. I, <laughs> he wasn't at all. He just like I thought the name, like the name Wallace Wallace, I thought was fun, and then like, uh, but yeah, I do think like originally he was gonna be more important, and then he's in one scene, so. <laughs> anyway, uh, before we before we talk about the pilot, I realized we also did a teaser that um, a lot of people have listened to, and I had almost nothing to do with that. So why don't you two talk about just kind of the teaser? Just just give me 
two, three minutes on like how that came to be. I wrote a draft of the teaser and I think I fundamentally misunderstood what we were doing because uh, it is, is one of those things where like I wrote it and I thought it was like two ads and then it was like one ad and I was like, oh, this is long for one ad. And then um, we fixed it through the magic of editing. Yeah, yeah. What happened was you had written sort of like two separate ads, one for Bia and one for Brenda. And somehow it got conflated into one ad where we first hear Bia, then we hear Brenda, and then we get the two of them together. I think that, so like I read, I know I read the teaser and I definitely was under the impression reading Sarah's script that like oh yes it was going to be all part of one thing um and uh that like i I thought it worked really well that way which is why i did not give the note let's uh let's make this more uh yeah yeah i like the teaser that we have very much and um one i would like to credit uh chris atfield our composer for that great like western twang that comes in because that to me is like i think that was like the moment because we, we were still, like, rushing to finish editing the episodes. That was, like, the moment where I was like, oh, this is, this could be good. <laughs> yeah, you're going to hear a lot. we made. <laughs> you're going to hear a lot about Chris Hatfield in these commentaries and how he saved us. Yes. Many a, times. A hero and a scholar. I think, um, I think <laughs> a recurring theme of this show is going to be, uh, here's Michelle Agresti. She saved us. Here's Tracy Syed. She saved us. Lindsay Zana, yes. Uh, Chris Hatfield. Literally, <laughs> Where every, would we be? literally Where everybody would we be who's not Diana? us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. So, yes. uh, I actually, in my, I'm searching my Google Drive, I found the original pitch that Chris and I made at the time we had a manager um, and we mm-hmm. pitched this to him. So, I found the original Arden pitch. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want me to read that? It's like a page of text. So. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. This is this is the pitch, not the not the elusive show bible. Not the show which bible, is, uh, which I'm still looking for. I'm also looking for nine the, pages long. The very first pilot. Um, okay. So this I is found it by searching for Odin pregnant um, to <laughs> prove a point. <laughs> All right. So this is, I think, before. Oh my the... god, there was a Lieutenant Paris. My god, we got off track, guys. <laughs> okay. We sure did. <laughs> Well, this this very first thing, the death of Julie Capson spelled with an N, or the rather the disappearance of Julie Capson with an N, rocked the nation. A famous heiress, prima for life, etc., about to go off to college and change the world, yada yada yada. That that feels like a little vague. Um, all right. It was believed that she was kidnapped and killed by fellow student Ralph Montgomery. Hey, that stayed. A poor kid who also vanished around the same time. He was called a bad apple, slandered in the press, accused of stalking her and ultimately abducting and murdering her. Uh, neither was ever found by the police, and things quieted down after a while. Ten years later, the Capsons are endowing a new charity in Julie's name. International Press Radio Network reporter B is doing a puff piece covering the Capsons and the charity when she is contacted by an intriguing new source. All of this disappeared. Um, ben, Ben, a former police officer, <laughs> now runs a failing PI firm called Arden. Ben had worked on the Capson case as a young cop and always had a crazy theory as to what had really happened. Namely, that Ralph had actually been dead for about two days before Julie disappeared and Julie is actually alive somewhere. Hey, that kind of stayed. 
While that first meeting ends badly, the two immediately mix like oil and vinegar, Bia is intrigued by Ben's theory and the evidence behind it. She smells a good story, not just the puff pieces she generally works on, but a genuine uncovering of some of the most powerful and mysterious people in the town on one of the biggest cases of the last decade. She persuades her boss at the network to let her do a longer investigative piece on Julie Capson's murder. However, it comes with a stipulation. Her boss, finding Ben to be one hell of a character, hires him to be her partner for the duration of the investigation, much to her chagrin. The more the two start looking at the case, the stranger it gets. The evidence against Ralph is extremely circumstantial, in particular the question of time, missing chunks of time in which no one can quite recall what happened, details of Ralph and Julie's relationship that don't match up from story to storyteller, with an additional ten years of fog descended over it. But as they increasingly become convinced that Ralph is innocent and the real culprit is still out there, Bia and Ben are going to figure out the truth no matter who's in their way, which often is not includes themselves, given their propensity to start arguing at the drop of a hat. Hey, that stayed. Uh, Arden, <laughs> Arden is an ongoing scripted podcast, a riff on the entire Shakespeare canon by way of serial <laughs> and moonlighting with a primary focus this first season on Much Ado About Nothing and Romeo and Juliet. It's a comedic, serialized mystery show, each episode running between 20 and 30 minutes. That did not stay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. The first season yeah. will tackle the Ralph Julie case, while future seasons would take on different cases. Each episode is narrated by Bia and Ben about a new step in the case, including the, introducing the new evidence and also fighting about who's narrating the episode and about what exactly the evidence means. But also along the way, Ben and Bia are working through their own contentious relationship. Both are coming to realize how much the other means to each other, but both are strong-willed, and after all their bickering, neither is going to be the first one to actually admit their feelings for the other, but maybe, just maybe, love will conquer all i mean it's there <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. i can definitely see why our manager was way more excited about like every other pitch here though <laughs> um yeah so that was the original idea the original idea uh, this is the the question that i get asked the most which is where did the idea come from and the original idea was i listened to a lot of true crime podcasts and a couple uh audio dramas and I just was like, serial crossed with moonlighting. That sounds like fun. Uh, and then I forgot, promptly forgot about that. And then Chris was like, let's let's do this. And then like, yeah. like a year later, yeah. I came in and Chris was like, I have this whole thing ready. And I was like, okay. Yeah, so really the thing that, that hooked me about your pitch was the fact that in all of these true crime shows, even sort of like the fictionalized ones, you get one narrator. You get one sort of definitive, like, voice of the truth. And maybe there's some, like, unreliability in there. But we're supposed to take this person at their word that they are going to be the final arbiter of what really happened in this case. Yeah. And your pitch immediately shook that up. It was like, it's taking away sort of the biggest cornerstone of this kind of show and throwing it into chaos. And that stayed with me. It was like that there's, there's a core there. There is something there that even like, as the months sort of like dragged on it was like, this is too good to let go. We have to see if we can do something with this. And, because of the nature of sort of audio drama and this sort of do-it-yourself culture and environment that's developing with it, we can do something with this. So it was like, it was the, 
the correlation of those two things uh, made it last. Right, right. Sarah, what, what were your thoughts on this when you came in? Because this script was largely written when you joined, but we changed a lot of it. So uh, I want to know your thoughts on like just the idea when you were when you were brought on board. You know, I was just flattered to be asked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I liked that the um, the mystery was already sort of figured out because I have um, one. I, I I love mysteries, but then whenever I'm like trying to outline one, I get I get really uh, really caught up in like these big ideas of like this twist and this twist and this twist and this twist, and then I like I never finish anything because it's. Uh, you get you get lost in those twists. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was appealing to be like, oh, great. I will show up and I will do the characters and the jokey jokes and the banter and flesh out these female characters. Uh, definitely one of my one of the things I was apprehensive about was like Ben as a character. So glad that guy's gone. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about the the sort of the very first version of this script, I just I uh, literally just dug it up. So why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm skimming it, and most of this stuff survived, but also like mm-hmm. a lot of it didn't. Um, <laughs> like it didn't mm-hmm. survive in this form. Um, and uh, the first, so one of the things I think, I think the second half of the season is stronger than the first half, and I think the big mm-hmm. reason for that is the first three episodes especially are very wedded to this is a true crime show that just happens to exist in a fictional format. And like true crime's a lot of exposition, which is the thing you don't realize until you try to write a fake one. Um, mm-hmm. And looking at this, this first one, like some of this stuff survived, like it opens with Andy saying Arden is sponsored by Wayface Industries. Like that made it. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> Arden is sponsored, as always, by Wayface Industries, the good people. And and the opening, Julie, the opening Bia talking about um, Julie's disappearance, that's pretty similar to what ended up in the other show. But then you jump to, like, Bia drives to Eureka and talks to Wallace, and, like, <laughs> like that didn't, you know, that made it to episode three. So we, uh, I don't remember precisely why we changed everything we did. Cause like the, the new, there were essentially four drafts of this. And the third one, it was still like, it, Brenda was still a man named Ben. Um, and we didn't change that until really late. Uh, yeah. I process. think I did like a find replace on my draft of episode five at some point. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the, I think a lot of it did come from stripping down because as I recall for a while, you know, the, the episode always had the two part structure where you beat Bia and, and she sort of takes us through the first half. Mm-hmm. And then the second half was always Ben slash Brenda. Mm-hmm. But from my memory, what originally happened at the original cause of that divide was Andy almost literally breaking the door down on Bia. And sort of after the initial interview of uh, Ben, Renda, who to this point had not been introduced as the co-host, 
he had only been introduced as just this other right. person right. that is being interviewed. And what happens is Andy basically just bursts into the recording studio <laughs> and demands that Ben be put on the show or it be shut down or something because he's concerned about how the detective agency is going to look. Yeah. And then like Bia and the boss who at that point was named Pedro uh, left and left Ben alone with the recording, which he noticed was still on. And then he starts talking as a way to try to clear his name <laughs> And that yeah. yeah, that monologue uh, we trimmed way back. Um, that one of the first things. So we we did a read through of the script, and Tracy Syed was there, and she she read Bia. Uh, we just did the first one, and 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 she like the big note everybody had was people talk way too long. <laughs> like you need yeah. to trim back what everyone's saying. Um, and then, as I recall, Tracy had to leave to go do something else. And we were like, let's read episode two. And uh, my wife, Libby, was there. She co-wrote episode 11. And she read for Ben. And I think uh, Christina, who did some of our editing, read for Bia. Yeah, Bia's. Christina Holleran, who edited episodes two and four. And those, like, suddenly there was something there. The, like, two women clashing was suddenly more interesting in some weird way um and that's when we really seriously started uh thinking about uh making making ben brenda unfortunately we hadn't written so much of the season that it was like a huge problem like we could literally do a fine replace um mm. and make a few small tweaks here and there uh yeah. but uh right yeah but, but yeah, I, I'm I'm like looking at the so our original description of Ben from the very original script was uh, Ben says, um, let me tell you a little bit. Um, the third thing, the third thing she meaning Bia has told you is probably that I'm devastatingly handsome or, you know, not that because you can just about hear it in my voice, can't you? So let me tell you a little about me. Picture Magnum P.I. era Tom Selleck. Take the mustache off. Throw it away. We don't want the mustache. Now picture Moonlighting era Bruce Willis, but give him better hair. And okay, I'll say it. A little bit of a beer belly. Last thing I want you to imagine is Tilda Swinton in that movie where sometimes she's a man and sometimes she's a woman, depending on the century. You kind of have a picture now, right? I'll bet. I was so proud of that Tilda Swinton line. And like that <laughs> went out the window right away. So. Yeah. Um, not enough people have seen Orlando, apparently. <laughs> um, but yes, so so the big like the big creative change we made was Ben became Brenda, and and then the mm -hmm. show that was when the show really started to become mm -hmm. itself. And I would also say another thing about this early draft is I I was writing it very clearly, hearing in my head a true crime podcast. So there's a lot of stuff where it's like you'll cut in a clip from the field. And like, it's not clear that that's happening. And when we went and even when we got to the final script, when we went and started recording, like, um, mm -hmm. I think that I had to make that more clear. Like it did not occur to me that people would not realize that, mm -hmm. you know, there would be different sound qualities and, and things like that. Yeah. I think one of the most important things we discovered in the process was the click stop, mm -hmm. the click play sound effect that you hear throughout the show. Mm -hmm. It is so useful in providing that sense of transition and pace to the yeah. show. Mm -hmm. 
another mm-hmm. thing, and I, I don't want to steal, this is Sarah's observation, but another thing that we accidentally did mm-hmm. was we have a format where everybody says where they are. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Big, big fan of that. Big fan of that. It's <laughs> so invaluable in, an, in, an, mm-hmm. in a format where nobody can actually see what's happening. And I like that we <laughs> – the very fictional show Arden, which is recorded in a studio. Uh, I like that we travel in that, like, they actually will go to someone's house to talk to them. Because I, a lot of the true crime stuff I listen to will be interviews, which does have a sense of, like, this is obviously a new person talking. And they're just in the same void room that everyone else is in because people are coming in here to record <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, the, the cutting around is a little more tricky when you're like, you we're in Eureka now. And it's like, what? You need to, you need to say that. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. needs to be mm-hmm. a sense that Eureka takes place, it, that Eureka sounds different than the recording studio in Los Angeles. The, cause mm-hmm. otherwise what, what are we doing? And that's a big thing we're talking about with season two is finding a way to do more things mm-hmm. that sound different. Because mm-hmm. I think, yes, if, if we have thoughts on season one, it's that the sound quality is often kind of samey. And, like, that's just because that we we were not, like, in a place where we could do wild sound design elements. But um, mm-hmm. I, I think now that we kind of have a, a season under us, we're thinking about that more. Yeah. And to get back to that original script, I think there was a lot of, there was a lot of paring down, but also... One of the fundamental changes that we discovered going on was that we did not want Andy as an antagonist and we did not need him as an antagonist uh, because he was very much that in the initial version of this show. Now, this is this is interesting because you've said this a number of times and I'm reading this script and I never saw him as an antagonist. I'm like, maybe this is just my view of human relationships, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he comes in and, and like the first, that script, which mm-hmm. I remember we kind of got, I think this was a note we got from the manager was like, there needs to be more um, mm-hmm. conflict. Um, right. That script definitely the element of the hostile takeover of the radio station is more important. But mm-hmm. Andy's not quite himself, but still pretty much like mm-hmm. kind of a kind of an idiot savant who like yeah <laughs> just is having yeah. a good time. Yeah, and I don't mean to say he was like evil, right, or anything. He was never evil, but there was definitely more of like, do we is is the conflict he's currently providing necessary or is it a distraction? Do you guys remember when the decision sort of happened to kind of take Andy out of the show until like episode four? <laughs> because we do the thing where we don't, we don't reveal that the Andy Wayface, who's their boss is the guy recording the audio with them, which is one of those weird reveals because like, because I know it the whole time, I really can't be like, tracking what that must be like for the audience and if they're even noticing or thinking about it. I feel like it was just sort of a really a decision of simplicity of like, okay, let's just try to keep this episode as contained as possible where we introduce, because we're introducing a lot 
Anyway, we're introducing Bia. We're introducing Brenda. We're introducing Julie. We're introducing Natalie. We're introducing Vince. We're introducing the torso. We're talking about Gerald. We're talking about the drive for Beverly Hills. There's a lot going on in this episode already. If there are things that we could take out, then take them out. Yeah. The original pilot had most of the regulars in it. Rosalind is the only one who doesn't appear in the original episode one. We have uh, uh, Pamela, who at that time was named Pedro, because apparently we thought the show was going to have men in it. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Andy is a much bigger part. Um, and we definitely have the, uh, you know, Wallace is all over it for some reason. Wallace is apparently very important. Um uh, but yeah, like I think that we we quickly realized the thing we needed to do in the first episode was introduce the case. It might be hard for younger listeners who've only known her as the lost girl to realize this. But for people of a certain age, well, my age, Julie Capsum was someone you knew all too well. Someone you maybe even grew up with. And this is my this is just my memory, but also looking at the script sort of confirms it. The case stayed pretty much the same. Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Um, yeah, I think yeah. we pretty. I think we pretty well. The introduction of the case yes. stayed pretty much the same. The central fact. I think the most have. I think everything that happens up until. Um, I would say there's no way because the timeline stuff. There's no way to say this in a way that makes sense. I'm like, you know, everything leading up to the drive is the same, which is not true. But like, in my in mm-hmm. the drive, Julie takes that stayed the same. Um, the yeah. plan to disappear stayed the same. Um, the basic setup, and then you know, uh, pretty much anything you hear after like episode nine is like new, but <laughs> yes, uh, and so yeah, I, I but definitely like, and I wrote a little bit about this. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you may have read the blog post I wrote about it. Um, there is a, a, a famous cold case, uh, in New Hampshire, a woman named Maura Murray. Uh, literally like I literally a lot of this is in the show, but like she just randomly ran away from her college. It seemed like she was preparing for a long trip. She crashed her car into a tree during this in the snow and she was like 10 hours away from home. Um, and then she just wandered off and nobody, nobody still knows what's happened to her. And like the safe bet is that she wandered off into the woods and got lost because it was snowing and, and died of exposure. But there are still like theories. There are a lot of theories that she survived and like now is living in Los Angeles and has a daughter and she ran away because she was pregnant, which is eerily similar to a thing we almost did without me knowing about that theory. Um, And also there are theories that she was murdered by someone um, and is like, you know, in their basement buried down there or something. Um, But, but yeah, so that was, where a lot of it came from, I don't remember. I literally don't remember where the torso came from. And the torso is, I just was having, um, I just was having coffee with David Reinstrom the other day. Uh, and he was talking about the torso as like the thing that when he tells his friends about the show that hooks them. And like, I, I don't yes. remember where it came yeah. from. It's, it's, it's fun. Like, I like that there's this weird horror element there. Um, but yeah. That's when things got weird. And we haven't even gotten to the torso yet. I can promise you, we'll definitely get to the torso. 
Yeah, I, I do yeah. think that sort of came in like pretty early as like, okay, we need to punch this up somehow. We need this this other element. But yeah, whenever I talk to people about the show and I say there's a torso in the truck, people are like, oh, tell me more. Yeah, when uh when I was making my friends listen to the teaser trailer, <laughs> um, just sitting them down and being like, you got two minutes, listen to this. Um, definitely when they mention the torso is like the thing, the moment where you like see on their face where they're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a torso involved. <laughs> but yeah, oh, that poor torso. I do want to say like when we started the show, we were pretty sure Julie was alive. Um, I don't, we were, we thought Ralph was alive. We weren't sure, but we kind of had that. Um, like I did not yet realize we were doing Romeo and Juliet, which is on me. Um, <laughs> what you should know about our creative process is I'm the one who listens to all the true crime podcasts. So nobody else has to, um, <laughs> but I also don't read the Shakespeare plays at all. Um, I, I really try not to. Um, but yeah, so I think we knew Julie was alive. I think we knew we had a, a vague idea that Ralph was with her. We had a vague mm-hmm. idea that maybe they had a kid. Um, I think we had the helicopter. I think we had all of that. Yes. But literally everything else was kind of up in the air, especially the identity of the torso, um, who was making the phone call, all of these things we didn't know. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to. I'm looking at what else sort of stayed the same from this first ad and one this first draft. And I just gave away where I'm going because one of the things that stayed the same is literally we have never changed a word of the Sockety Doo Da ad. <laughs> well, how could we? <laughs> like that. Uh, and what what was kind of sad about that was uh, I I wrote that as a thing where I was like, this will never happen. And then immediately, like mail order sock services started advertising on podcasts and like. I'm cursed, um, <laughs> basically. Uh, yeah, I, I like a few months ago got some some bullshit. Uh, are we swearing on this? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> swear all you want. Yeah, why not? I think uh, we already have. So. Oh, great, great, great. Um, some some bullshit online content. Uh, create a gig where I like, I made like a jokey fake ad. For a very real sock company that just <laughs> sends socks to your door, and I was I was just like doing that whole thing, being like, "This is the this is the hell I've opened myself up to with our." <laughs> <laughs> like, I now understand Bia. <laughs> <laughs> like literally to the point where um, Andy, who we you know changed a lot from this draft, like his line in the ad where he says, "Who doesn't love a sock party?" has stayed also exactly the same. So. <laughs> People are supposed to believe that I do this. Who doesn't love a sock party? Yeah, I... Look, some things don't need to change. So where did the ads come from? Like, I, that's always been there. It's always been part of the show. Like, it's here in this first draft of the pilot. But also, like, I don't recall the two of us having a conversation where it was like, oh, we're going to do ads when we started writing Well, I this. think... Well, I've, you have to, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely have to. If, we're, if you're doing a parody, and this did start off as more of a parody then you have to do fake ads. It's a demand of the genre. Right. Just, I still constantly think of how like MailChimp like, really wants that sweet, sweet child moto money for being involved in serial. Because it is such a surreal thing. Yeah. Yeah, like To and... just be listening to this gruesome murder and then, oh, he, 
you need to, here's a food order service. Here's a clothing service. Here's sheets. Like, buy sheets. Yeah, and it is it is great exposure for them, but it's it's just so weird that that's, like, the thing they're tied to, that they want to be tied to. Mm-hmm. And so many... Anyway, if you're listening, please sponsor Arden. <laughs> <laughs> we will not make fun of you if you sponsor us. <laughs> and so many of these shows, the... Um... Uh, the ads are done by the host, which of course is also our conceit. Like uh, the ones where I think it kind of works, and we're going to talk a lot about how in the dark the true crime podcast is like the one true crime podcast that like we think does everything right. Um, they when they do ads, they do, the host doesn't read them; it cuts to a different voice, and like that I think works. But like when you listen to the host be like, and then they found the torso. And then she's like, I love socks. In fact, I don't know where I'd be without them. <laughs> yeah. There's some... The juxtaposition is so insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is another place where I think uh, Chris Hatfield really underlined this for us because his ad music was so good uh, and such a break from the mood of the rest of the show that like um, he wrote three or four pieces we overused all of them but in in wonderful ways I think yeah and I I think it's helpful to have like at least at least for me I, I hope the audience likes it but for me it's nice to be like this music means an ad is playing and that's how you know you're not listening to the regular show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you need those kinds of cues to let you know those sort of structural things are happening. Yeah, Um, because it is is Bea or Brenda talking, so you... You do need to make sure that it doesn't sound like Bia is yeah. just having a conversation about how she loves socks. <laughs> yeah, one thing that I know at least I, Which I she try would do. to do. Yeah. Who doesn't love yep. socks? <laughs> yeah, what, one thing I always tried to do when I was writing was if one of Bia or Brenda sort of ends the segment, it's the other one who does the ad um, to at least have that sort of transition so it's not just one voice then the same voice so that it's always one voice then a different voice um Uh, i just tried to get everybody in the show to do ads like literally i think i wrote both no i didn't write the way date ad but i wrote the other two andy ads uh and i wrote the one that pamela and ross did do uh i think in episode nine but way date's not technically an Andy ad because Bia's <laughs> right, reading Bia reads copy it. and then she just starts interviewing Andy about his inner life. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. let's save that for the episode 6 commentary. Or yeah. you can read yes, about it. We could, <laughs> yeah, we will be able to do the episode 6 commentary entirely about way dates. There's enough to dig um, into there. <laughs> I, so I think we should we should talk about casting, but I do before we get to casting, I want to talk about uh, Michelle how she reads the ads, which is like my favorite thing about her performance. Oh, she's, she's so good. She's <laughs> she's a a very very good actress who really creates and grounds this the character of Bia and makes her feel very real to me. But like, absolutely my favorite acting trick she does is just ha- clearly hating the ads <laughs> she, like i think she was given the direction like you basically have a gun to your head right now <laughs> when you are doing this i'm and, 
Oh, Boy, did she run with it. I'm not going to say what <laughs> podcast we told her to listen to because it is a wonderful podcast that I love, but the host always sounds like she would rather be doing anything but reading ads. Um, and Michelle just took that to heart. And like um, she, in the latter half of the season, she does some amazing emotional stuff and she lands these big emotional moments. But I'm all, like always for me, the moment when I'm like, I love this performance is when she says, I love socks. <laughs> <laughs> I love socks. In fact, I don't know where I'd be without them. Um, but yes, let's talk about casting because yes. we uh, had a, a pretty, um, I won't say arduous, it was, it was fine. Like we, we had a good time, um, but uh, it became very clear to us. Um, I want to talk about that because I, I had never cast a thing before. And right. I, I had heard that thing that people say, when you see the right person, you know. And I li- that literally happened when we had Michelle and Tracy come in and read opposite each other. It was like, oh, okay, this is going to be fine. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. Michelle was the first person to read for the whole thing. She was. Yeah. She was. And then Shannon Estabrook was the second person. So, yeah. And we thought this was going to be so easy. Yeah. And, and – um, Michelle and Shannon, and we were... have... go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, we had put out, uh, ads and a couple of sort of the casting aggregate websites that are out there for Los Angeles. And we had over 500 submissions for the show, which considering it was for an audio drama from people who had no experience making one. I'm not quite sure what that says, but it was something. (laughs) We had a lot of uh, auditions that clearly weren't right. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of people. We had a lot of people where we kind of had, we kind of fought about them. Like uh, for instance, one of the people who ended up in the cast, uh, Robert Fleet. I remember I was like a big proponent of just like bringing him in to have him read because he was so different from everybody else who auditioned, but also like he, he put in for Ben, which at the time Ben became Brenda. And like, it was like, that wasn't going to happen, you know, like he wasn't right for that part. But so like, yeah, it was kind of uh, it literally he put in for Andy. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, yeah. we may have had him read for that. Um, but yeah, it, it, he, he, he could have made, uh, Robert could have done a really good Andy. It's, it's hard to imagine any other Andy. But I think there was there was a version of Andy that was a little more insidious in his whimsy, and I think Robert would have really killed that. <laughs> well, well, what happened? Speaking of people coming in and you just knowing that's the right person. So, Ben Watts. <laughs> ben Watts, a hero. <laughs> he submitted initially for Ben Bentley, the character who became Brenda. Mm-hmm. And he came in and he did a good reading. Yeah. And then we just almost on a whim asked him to read for Andy. And that voice just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Because he, he does, you know, normally he, he has a, like an American accent. Um, he can do like Australian is, I think his native well, he's accent. From Australia. Yeah, he's from Australia. Yeah. He was in a good place episode as an Australian. And I was like, where do I know that guy from? Because his voice is like his voice is so different when he when he does the Australian thing, um, but yeah, uh, the 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 kind of vaguely Scottish thing, vaguely mm-hmm. Sean Connery, uh, like 
I don't even know. It was, it was great. Um, we, uh, we, you know, really wanted him in the cast and I, th because he was so good. And then I think the, the Andy thing was just like what sealed it. And we kept writing to that, like in a way where mm -hmm. we were kind of worried about Andy because um, this is the other part of the origin story we didn't talk about, which is, we scrapped the idea that Andy was kind of hostile takeovering the the radio station uh, after the 2016 election because it felt yeah it felt a little dark and it felt a little too close to social commentary which we didn't want to yeah. do until we started like, doing remember, social commentary <laughs> yeah like the like the two of us I think we had lunch I think it was that Thursday or Friday mm -hmm. after the election and we were just sort of sitting there in this really nice like Japanese curry restaurant, both kind of still shell shocked mm -hmm. from, from mm -hmm. what had happened. And I think and, at that I think at that time we thought Arden was probably dead because we thought the idea yeah. that Bia was fighting against the radio station being taken over was too integral to the show. Mm -hmm. So now we just have this multinational corporation that like we never really interrogate it because if we do, then we might have to think about the evil things it does. But um, we just pretend it's it's basically wholesome and Andy is a good person. It's a corporation <laughs> and a religion. You know that that's <laughs> all we can ask it's for. A way of life. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like like after we saw Michelle and Shannon, we thought, well, this is this is going to be either really easy or really tough because everybody's going to be this good. And then we had a long string of people who weren't good. Um, but uh, it, the people who we wanted in the show stood out, and we kind of reconfigured the show around them. Like Charlita Gaston came <laughs> in, and we were like, we really like her voice we really like what she's doing we don't really have a character for her but also we have this pedro character who we haven't done anything with so let's just mm -hmm. make uh, that that actually i believe was sarah's pitch was we just turned it into pamela and like we went from there um mm -hmm. uh, and then like and then we also had the sort of the more ensemble type people like mm -hmm. uh like john rail or mia drake who it's like we like these people. Mm -hmm. We're going to figure out a character for them that they can sort of come back as. But we also know we they will be really good utility players, right? Um, and one of the like one of my favorites where that happened was Lindsay Syme, who plays Natalie. Um, Natalie mm. is low key my favorite character all season um, <laughs> because she's like such a sweet person, but also like covering up a massive crime. <laughs> Without, but like, out, out of love. Yeah, <laughs> without breaking a sweat. Um, also possibly associated with that. Yes. But out like, of love. <laughs> that was a thing where I don't know that Natalie would have been as important a character. Like she might have just been in the first mm -hmm. episode being like, yeah, Julie was my best friend. But Lindsay Syme came in and like instantly you had a sense just from her voice of like Natalie's wealth, Natalie's upbringing, all this stuff. And like, Natalie's sadness over losing her friend and we kept writing to that and like that was that was the thing that that happened mm -hmm. a lot like we had these actors um like John Rail suddenly revealed he could do a great uh Liverpudlian accent and <laughs> we were like okay what are we gonna do with that yeah <laughs> like okay yeah. we're gonna keep bringing back Sean Stone for like no reason <laughs> no reason at all it's really fascinating the way these things happen like I hear uh, TV showrunners talk about it all the time in my day job and like it's really true like you just you just hear something and you're like okay that's it 
and we were just so lucky that we kept having that happen like it it was extraordinary because like no aside i mean tracy was your friend Mm -hmm. but otherwise all these people just found us and like tracy had never done audio drama and like i don't think it was on her radar at all and like literally it was just like i've always thought i've loved i've worked with tracy almost 20 years now like like we knew each other in college and we were in sweeney todd together she was mrs lovett i was like a person who pushed scenery around (laughs) and uh yeah like that's still kind of what's happening (laughs) yeah basically basically um and yeah like uh one of the things that so we're giving credit to our wonderful cast our wonderful composer all these people um who made the show what it was but i do want to give us credit for recognizing those things and for running toward them when they were happening instead of like we let go of some ideas because it just they didn't work with what we sort of ended up having in the show Mm -hmm. um yeah so i i want to give us credit for that cool well thank you (laughs) (laughs) mostly me go team no i mean Yeah. yeah We are we are recording like an hour of us just talking about how great our show is. So yeah. I think some level of humility is the bare minimum we could be doing right now. Um, uh, speaking Obviously of humility, we think we did a great job and we're geniuses. Speaking <laughs> of humility, uh, should we talk a little bit about the production and post production process? Yeah, I just I just literally oh. I just wanted to shout out um, Elizabeth Obear who recorded most of our episodes was our sound engineer was did a terrific job was unable to continue with the show in the way that both she and we had hoped because she like is a professional sound person in Hollywood and like has other jobs that, that pay her more than we did. Um, And, but yeah, like the reason this show sounds good at all has so much to do with the fact that we were in a pretty noisy space where we were recording and she like found a way of making it sound like a, like a, studio um so thank you so much elizabeth uh anytime yes. you anytime yes. you want to stop by again we're happy to have you yes yeah. thank elizabeth you elizabeth was a lifesaver yes please uh pay elizabeth some real money for her professional look <laughs> uh so this episode was recorded on saturday november 11th 2017 <laughs> sunday november 12th 2017 saturday december 2nd 2017 and saturday february 24th 2018 to give you a little glimpse of what our behind the scenes process was like right yeah i think i think we recorded um to really put that in perspective i think we recorded episode 11 on either November 12th or 11th. But it was like, it was the same exact day a year apart from the pilot. <laughs> yeah. And the reason we did the Feb- the February date was when we did pickups on the monologues, right? Yes. Because. Yeah. Because, yeah and this is, this is actually in large part on me because I was the one who did all of the scheduling of when we were going to record things. And so, on that first day, I figured, well, to let Michelle and Tracy get their sort of sea legs under their characters, 
let's have them record all of their monologue stuff first. What could go wrong? They were so boring. Like they just yeah. they just had no life to them because they didn't know the characters. Um, mm-hmm. And they were just long. We also edited them a lot. They turned into long walls of text. And um, yeah, like the initial Bia monologue, even before the credits, was close to ten minutes in its first version. Uh. <laughs> it was just, it was like a nightmare. And this is not on Michelle at all. No, like okay, she and, did what she could. And the there are lots of. Lots of, uh, you know, radio shows, fictional and non-fictional, that are one person talking, and it totally works. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you. There's so many episodes of Welcome to Night Vale before you hear anyone else talk, but it's still like thoroughly <laughs> engaging. Um, so it's it's very much on us <laughs> for not realizing that that's not what the show is. This is a ensemble. Right. Yeah. I really I really had Limetown in mind um when mm-hmm. I wrote the pilot and Limetown has a lot of long monologues but Limetown is also an atmospheric horror show um and we are not mm-hmm. that like comedy yeah. and I remember a, go ahead and I was going to say and I remember coming in and saying we have to introduce Brenda like within the first 5 minutes yeah, that's not what I would have started with. I don't think anyone wants to hear how you would have started. Oh, don't get me wrong. It was very professional. Because that's the key to the show, is their interaction. And I, re- like, I, I resisted that for a long time because I felt like we needed to, we needed to essentially have mm-hmm. um, the wrestling term K. I can never think of how to pronounce it. I think it's K-fabe. K-fabe, yeah. Like we needed to essentially ha- let people think this was a real true crime show for basically the first half of the pilot. But um, that was deadly boring. And like, <laughs> like you, you're, you were right. Like, like we needed to um, get the element in there of conflict. And like, uh, I've re-listened to the season and I, st- I still think the first half of the pilot like maybe could use a little more juice and that's mostly me because I, I really wanted it to sound like a true crime show um, and uh, I, I I didn't quite realize that like how obvious it would be it was not a true crime show that it was a fake crime <laughs> show um, <laughs> yeah I, I think um, what's kind of interesting about those sorts of decisions and in general like our process writing Arden is that um, the three of us are fundamentally TV people. We've all written pilots. We all came to LA in the hopes of one day getting that big show. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, the reason why our art and episodes are like 40 to 50 minutes long is because we're trying to write a TV show. And a lot of our the learning curve was learning how to actually make it an audio drama. But there are things where I, th- I think a lot of the mistakes we made is we were like trying to write our impression of a radio show. And it's with stuff like bringing Brenda in is like that's a TV thing is it's like people are going to change the channel, g- get to it. And that that background has served us well, I think, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if there's a lot of things where we got like, like, uh, this is an episode two thing. We'll talk about in episode two. But I was like, kind of just trying to write my, my version of a law and order procedural type thing, which I, I know how to write, but it was like an impression of an impression of that. Uh, <laughs> right. 
But that's next time. Uh, <laughs> little teaser for you. Yeah. Uh, we're close to an hour. Do we want to do final thoughts? Is there anything else um, you want to I, hit here? I have, a, <laughs> I have a couple things I want to touch on. The first is perhaps the most significant line of dialogue in the whole show, uh, which is when Lindsay Zana says, uh, oh, God, I got to go back up to the top here. I so apologize for this, everyone. Okay, here we go. So the the sitcom actor, I believe, was Grant Patrizio, who says, what do we say to strangers, Julie? And Lindsay Zana says, thanks for the candy. And we, like, didn't want to have to find an eight-year-old. Later, we, like, found a three-year-old. So um, <laughs> props to us. But... Uh, we just asked Lindsay if she could do that and she did it and nailed it. And then uh, literally from that one line, like I was like, we need, that was the line that made me say, we need to do something more with this person we've brought in to play someone who only appears in archival footage. What do we say to strangers, Julie? Thanks for the candy. (laughs) And so I, I, I have always thought of that as the most significant line of dialogue in the show because to that point, I, we, we, we kind of had as a loose rule that we didn't make fun of the crime, but to that point, the crime had been a lot more, it didn't feel like it had happened to real people. And then when we started thinking about Julie as a real person, that's when I think a lot of stuff started to click, even beyond like the episode 11 of it all. Um, so we can thank Lindsay Zana for that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, our deepest, deepest thanks to Lindsay Zana. And I think this is a place where I want to shout out Libby for being the one who's like you need a star as julie Mm -hmm. Lindsay is a star yeah because we we knew we wanted Lindsay in there and we had we were kind of like is she in the ensemble is she you know one of the other characters and and libby was adamant that uh she should play julie because i don't even remember why libby was there that day but she was (laughs) so it's there to help out (laughs) she really did (laughs) yeah and and she was right um uh, as she so often is. Um, and I also wanted to talk about the thing think scene, which I know that we have yes. thoughts on. So, um, cause that to me was when Michelle and Tracy fell into the rhythm that they uh, ultimately occupied for the bulk of the season. Yes. Yes. Because in the scheduling of that first day, aside from like a one hour block where Lindsay Zana came in and did all the stuff we'd written for her to that point, mm-hmm. we purposefully scheduled that day so it would only be Michelle and Tracy so that they could figure out their relationship. We could sort of figure out how they were going to play off each other, that sort of thing. But if I recall correctly, they did that scene in the audition as well. That was one of the audition scenes. And I think that was the scene that sold us that they could do it. Yeah. And once they hit that scene, I think on that sort of first day of recording, that's when they really started to click into gear. And pretty much by that afternoon, they had figured out how they were going to play off each other. Yeah. And we had a show. Yeah. The show doesn't work if those two don't, work together and like we knew they worked together from auditions but i remember that first morning i was a little nervous because again they just did a bunch of monologues and they didn't it wasn't quite working it wasn't quite right and then they argued about thing and think which is one of the few things that stayed the same from the very first draft um and it just it it just it clicked into place in a way that i think made the rest of the show easier to write well you've got another think coming you know, 
I think it's you got another thing coming. Just tell me what your evidence is. And it's think. That makes sense. Thing doesn't make any sense in context. You've got another think coming? Who talks like that? A 1910 society heiress. It's verbal dexterity. It's something you wouldn't understand if it... (sighs) Nice to see you still get worked up over the stupidest shit. And it's thing. Most people say thing. Just admit you lost. Think. This is one other thing I want to ask, which is how far along in writing were we when we started recording? I feel like we had four, but maybe we had five. On that first weekend, we recorded things from episode one, from episode two, from episode three, from episode four, from episode five, and episode seven. Okay. I know we wrote six super late. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah, that was... We'll we'll get to six. I was just going to say, when I say we, that's like the one I had. I I pitched one line. That was my contribution to episode six. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like. We were were intentionally putting episode six uh, off so that it could be. um, So that it could fill in whatever it needed to be once Mm -hmm. this. Once we'd written everything else. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Um, So I would consider that. As we were halfway through, if we had episode seven, that means we were halfway through the season. Yeah, um, like Arden's recording days were kaleidoscopic in nature. Let's put it like that. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, let, 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 just just give me your final thoughts on the pilot since we have talked for quite a while. What's what's the thing you think works really well? What's the thing you wish we had done better? Um, and then just kind of an overall look at it. We'll we'll start with you, Chris. Yeah, so I think a, a thing that works really well, and this was a thing that we actually did have to do some a bit of retakes on to try to figure out. I think a thing that works well is Bia and Brenda's introductions and the sense of their conflict. So I think you pretty quickly get a sense of who these two people are why they are in conflict, not just because of like whatever position but they're in, but also philosophically why they're in conflict. And so I think the I think the pilot sells you on the fact that not only is there this external case that's gonna be solved, but that this is also going to be the story of these two people. Um in terms of things that I think could be handled better, I, I'm going to come back to the exposition because there is just so much of it. And at this, on the one hand, you kind of have to get through it because we do have to say this is a true crime show and we do have a lot of exposition in setting up the case and setting up the world and setting up all of these things. I do wish we had found a more elegant solution. Right. In how to deliver some of it. Right. It's a it's it's a conceit of the genre, but we thought we mm-hmm. were in a different genre than we ultimately ended up in. If that makes yeah. sense. Um Sarah no, I think that's fair. Sarah, what, what what are your thoughts? Um Yeah, as far as uh the negative, uh pretty much that it's just very it's very piloty, as uh you might say in television. <laughs> 
it's just it's gotta do all the setup and in order to in order to subvert expectation we have to just do the thing people are expecting which is just always the boring part of subverting expectations yeah, yeah. um but uh i like it i'm looking at the um the final transcript which is available on our website ardenpodcast.com yes ardenpodcast.com backslash transcripts if you want to get right to it uh, <laughs> and it's it's 22 pages the final cut so like you know we got it down there we got it down there mm-hmm. it is our shortest episode it's 39 minutes and most of the others are in the 45 to 50 range so yeah we we gutted this because i think this was the one that we had the most time to tinker with because mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. this it was a weekly release <laughs> right we got the first cut of this in like february yeah and which is why there were pickups <laughs> yeah um yeah um, yeah um i think there's a lot of uh a lot of good stuff here i think i think it you know there's the info dump but it does it sets up the case it sets up the characters it sets up what the genre and tone is and what we're playing with um i think it is a just a great job Genya into the world of Arden. And I guess uh, since there's nowhere else uh, to put this, uh, I'm, I'd like to shout out a late edition scene, which is the uh, Bia feeling responsible because she was like the last one to interview Julie, which was something that we came up with late because we felt like her, her driving force was a little, was just not hitting right. Right, right, um, yeah. Because she... Originally, she was just like, she had just really emotionally connected to Julie, which I think is something that never leaves the show. But um, it was just sort of hard to convey the intensity of that, because it's like, I I know what it's like to just, you know, you, you watch someone's movies like a bunch of times and you're like, they're kind of my friend and I care what happens to them. But it's just sort of, it wasn't coming across in her speech. And mm-hmm. I... That interview where she talks to Julie, I think, even just really plants the seeds that, like, Julie is a real person that we will be hearing more from. Do you think you're defined by what people want to see? Like, Hollywood, right? That's all about trying to turn you into a product? I don't know. I keep thinking I'm going to find a place there. Like, I'll find my people, right? My mom did. I don't know why I can't. They've got to be around. We also uh, aged Bia up quite a bit. Not quite a bit, but we aged her up into someone who was just out of college. And, and we aged Julie down. So it made less sense that Bia was like obsessed with Julie Capsum. <laughs> like, right. It was like um, if, you know, a recent college graduate right now was like a, obsessed with like Elsie Fisher or something. I don't know. Like, actually, that's probably really plausible. So I don't know why I just suggested that as something crazy. Um, but... Yeah, who's the the Sally Draper actress? Because I, I do feel like if something happened to her, I would be devastated. <laughs> Kieran <laughs> Shipka? Yes. Uh... Uh, Kieran, and if you want to play Julie in the TV show, uh, give us a call. Um... Yeah, how about it? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um... I think, uh, you know, I think that the thing that for me uh, doesn't quite work beyond, I guess, what we've already talked about, um, I think we hit the aliens beat a few too many times. Like, we cut it way down from what it was in the original pilot. I just, I I think, like, I think we hit it a lot 
Um, and then it doesn't return throughout the show as much as I think we thought it was going to. And like, it's not bad or anything. I think there are some good jokes there, but it's also like, I don't know. I think it kind of gets, yeah, similar. that was much longer. Yeah. Originally. There was a that, lot more of it. Ugh, um, well, we heard from people that they actually thought aliens were going to be part of the show. And that was, that's the thing I regret is it's like, we definitely, we set up some fun supernatural stuff we don't pay off on. And um, it's like, I knew we never were going to, so I didn't see the problem. But like, now that it's out there. <laughs> I draw the line at extraterrestrials, but cryptids are okay. Um. Yeah, no, the Scott game is real. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, ever comes at us for the fact that the skunk game is real like like yay no one's ever like um this was a grounded show <laughs> you introduced the cousin of bigfoot um I, I the thing that i really like is i really like the cliffhanger um i really think that the phone call from the cabin is a really good understated cliffhanger that leaves me wanting to know more um, and I remember being quite frustrated when I started getting drafts of other like scripts and we weren't immediately talking about that, but also like, uh, it, as a cliffhanger, it doesn't leave you a lot of room to maneuver in. Um, but I think it works really well as like a tease to watch the rest of the show. And I've, I've heard that the people who aren't like in on the torso, I've heard people be like, Oh, the, the, the phone call is kind of that notion that there's this mystery phone call in the middle of the night, um, really, seemed to uh grab people and we didn't know who was making it for the longest time but um spoilers it was natalie yeah <laughs> yeah if you're Shout listening to this before show. listening to the entire show what are you doing um uh we we really should wrap this up but uh does anybody want to tease something from season two which we are just starting to work on um i would like to tease that we're definitely going to know Who's in what? Who's in cabins and who's making phone calls and if aliens are involved before we record? Um, that is my promise to you. <laughs> I reserve the right to completely change it at the last minute if we feel like we should. Um, Chris, do you want to? Oh yeah, I'm. I'm yeah. definitely pushing for ghosts to be real. Um, <laughs> uh, that, there's your tease for uh, season two. Uh, regardless of what does or does not show up. I believe ghosts are going to appear. <laughs> Maybe okay. you don't see them because it's an audio drama. <laughs> All right. Uh, season two tease. Here's one for you. We are going to find out about other true crime shows in the world of Arden. Um, I'm going to tease that we will have a major new character. Um, sort of the Julie Capsum of season two. Uh, and her name is Dana Hamill. And we think she lives in Montana. We haven't quite nailed that down, but we think she lives in Montana. Um, and uh, she perhaps uh, uh, is, is conflicted about the death of her father. And uh, I can't wait to, I can't wait to talk <laughs> that's, more that's about tease. Yeah. Teased enough. <laughs> no, no. Um, that's actually all just in the season finale. So, like, uh, like all you know now is that she has a name. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. I need to go back. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you so much for listening to this. I can't imagine who did, but if you did, thank you, Gold Star. Yes. Congratulations. Thanks. We are going to do commentaries like this on all the episodes. Um, we're probably going to do more stuff like this. It's going to be Patreon exclusive. So if you want to hear more of this, head over to Patreon, 
give us a couple bucks. We'd really appreciate it. It's going to help us fund season two where we are really like intent on paying everybody closer to what they're worth. We There's no way we can ever pay them what they're worth on our, our indie podcast budget, but we want to get closer. Um, so that's patreon.com slash ardenpod. You also can find us at ardenpodcast.com. We're on Twitter at twitter.com slash ardenpod, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, all those places, basically ardenpod. We're on YouTube. Um, and if you haven't listened to the show, we've spoiled a bunch of it for you, but uh, <laughs> go check it out. It's on... Yeah, yeah. It's on all major podcasters. Spoiler warning right at the top of this episode, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and I, I would like to reiterate, like, we, the three of us, are doing this 100% out of love of the game, uh, for the craft of it all. Every cent that goes into Patreon is going to our production team and our actors. It is not going to us. Um, you are free to Venmo us money individually, but we just want to, like... Sometimes you donate money and you don't know what's going. Um, I, I give you my full assurance it's going straight to yeah. our amazing cast and crew. <laughs> Who hopefully will get some, some of them of on, future, on future uh, commentaries yes. and discussions. So if you really want to hear from somebody in the cast or somebody in the crew, please let us know because we'd love to have them on. And like we can't, it can't just be the three of us because we'll... Uh, clearly talk past each other uh, until we've talked for an hour and a half. Um, Yeah, but we'll be on episode seven and be like, um, yeah, we're still here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we should, I think we should bring Robert in for that one and just turn him loose. He has so many stories. Oh yeah, I I did not mean to pick on episode seven, but um, definitely let's get Robert. He's so good. (laughs) I like listening to his voice. Um, We should cast him in something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, you can find uh, other episodes of this, again, on Patreon, and we have other fun stuff there. So please check us out. Uh, until then, thank you for listening to Art, and good night. Thank you, and good night. Good night. <laughs> the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. How much do you know about cryonic preservation? Cryonic preservation. The preservation of human beings at extreme low temperature. You mean like like uh, Walt Disney? No, I swear to God, if you say anything about Walt Disney's frozen head, I'm hanging up this phone right now. Swear to me, you've never heard of the Red Valley Seabolt until I just told you. I swear. You swear. Could you take your hand off my knee? Look, Warren, if they're sending the butter wouldn't melt new boy looking for Red Valley, it'll be for a reason. Trust me. People are losing their lives in this company. We pulled him out too soon. He is awakening exactly as we planned. He's dying on me! We're all murderers here. Bryony, you, me, that doorman probably. Guy on the corner there with a neck tattoo. I bet he's killed someone. Would you like to cut his head off? I'm sorry. The saw is funny. Gordon, why are you sharing this stuff with me? Why are you smiling? I don't know. I smile when things get awkward. Get in your golden bullet, pick me up. You want to go to Red Valley? You want to go to Red Valley? Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley Valley is available on all podcast providers. Do you want to continue?